text is from Genesis 24, verse 12 to 27. But let me just read the, the last two verses of Genesis 24, 20, verse 26 and 27. Because that somehow summarized the sermon. Then the man bowed down his head and worshipped the Lord. And he said, Blessed be the Lord God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his mercy and his truth toward my master. As for me, being on the way, the Lord led me to the house of my master's brethren. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, Genesis chapter 24 tells us a very well-known story. It is known as the first time that Isaac and Rebekah met. And most of people love to listen so-called a first-time story. We love to hear romantic stories. For instance, how our Opa from Kroningen met uh, Beppa from Friesland and how they settled in Canada and so on. The passage that we just read is very, also very dramatic. It is one of the stories that sticks in your mind for a long time. It's a fascinating story. But when I read this a few years ago with my housemates, I was very perplexed uh, how, the, how the story began. Well, why? Because it seems like Abraham, he arranged marriage for his son Isaac. I asked myself a question, how would, I, how would I react if I were Isaac? How awkward would it be if my parents arranged my marriage? That happened once and it didn't go well. It was hard for me to accept this story since the arranged marriage is not really welcomed by young people these days. I mean, there's nothing wrong with the arranged marriage. Well, back in the 50s, it was quite common. Well, today's passage actually reminds me of my grandma. Remember, my grandma was telling this story while my grandpa was away. And then my grandma told me when, when she first saw my grandpa, she never seen my grandpa until her wedding day. Yes, she was arranged. On her wedding day, she was wearing this thick veil. I guess it was a, it was a Korean traditional wedding. And the wedding begins when the two parties bowing down together. And she, couldn't, she still couldn't see my grandpa's face because of the veil, but she could see my grandpa's shoes. She saw that my grandpa was wearing a fancy pair of sneakers. And she was really happy. Because, you have, let me remind you, it was right after the Korean War. And everybody was very poor. Only a few rich people could afford that kind of fancy sneakers. So she thought, she was very excited. She thought, I'm going to get married with this, this rich guy. But sorry, guess again. She was wrong. Because... My, she found out later that my grandpa was borrowing the pair of shoes just for that one day. And after my grandma told me that story, I told myself, I will never be like my grandma. Letting others decide who I'm going to get married? Come on, it's too, way too dangerous. It's like gambling. 
It's like, it's way too risky since I'm going to get married only once. Again, I thought to myself, what are the chances of having happy marriage and a good relationship if you were arranged? And here in this text, it seems like Isaac became a victim of arranged marriage. Is that true? Here I preach God's word with the following theme and points. God shows his steadfast love through the arranged marriage of Isaac. The first point, we are going to see the promise of land that initiates the mission. Second, the promise of land that fulfills the mission. And third, the promise of land that brings the happy ending of the mission. Well, when you look at Genesis 24, we cannot help but wonder the following question. Why? Why did Abraham arrange marriage for his son? Put yourself in the shoes of Isaac. What if, how would you feel? What if the girl is not, so to speak, not your type? What if you don't like the girl? Well, I guess the real question that we, we ought to ask is that what is the real motivation behind all this? I can understand in Genesis 2.18, God said it is not good for man to be alone. And in order to be fruitful and multiply, man needs a wife. But most of all, especially for Abraham, Isaac needed a wife because of the promise of Genesis 17. In Genesis 17, verse 5, God gave Abraham a new name, Abraham, which means a father of many nations. Of course, Abraham cannot be a father of many nations unless he gets some grandsons. God also gave a promise in Genesis 22 saying, I will surely bless you. I will surely multiply your offsprings as the stars of heaven and the sand that is on the seashore. That's right. Isaac needed a wife so that the promise of Genesis 17 and 22 may be fulfilled. Moreover, this mission in Genesis 24 is not only relevant to Abraham or Isaac, but relevant to us as well. Why? This matters so much to us because Messiah was to be born in the line of Abraham. However, there is something more more behind the mission. Well, the answer, the question is is not solved yet. Still remains, why did Abraham set a specific requirement in this mission? Why did Abraham want to send his servant all the way to Mesopotamia? Mesopotamia was 800 kilometers away from Canaan, according to Google Maps. Uh, but don't trust Google Maps, but because it would be more than 1,700 kilometers to travel from Canaan to Ur, where Abraham came from, because you had to go around the desert or around the Fertile Crescent. And that's, of course, very far. It's this far longer distance than from Hamilton to Thunder Bay. And it takes forever if you want to walk there. 
But the question is, why Abraham asked his servant to go there despite of the distance? Isn't it much easier if Abraham was not that stubborn? Wouldn't it be much easier for Abraham or Isaac if Abraham just could pick anybody in the the land of Canaan? But he did not. Well, if you go to Genesis 26, you can find the answer why Abraham was so insisting. He did not want to find a girl from Canaanites. Well, it is because the Canaanites were not godly people. Genesis 26, verse 34, 35 says, When Esau was 40 years old, he took a, he took a girl from Hittites. And then uh, he, the way that he, he, he married, it, was, it, was, it became, it, it worried his parents, Isaac and Rebekah. Later on, we see that Rebekah complains about those Hittites. She said, I'm disgusted with this living because of this Hittite woman. If, and she said, if Jacob takes a wife from among this woman of this land, from Hittite's woman like this, and she said, my life will not be worth living. And then the story goes, Rebecca convinced Isaac to send Jacob to his uncle Laban. While the Hittites and Canaanites were the people that Rebecca hated, our passage this afternoon tells us that describes Rebecca as a very attractive and was maiden that who no man had known. She was a virgin. And the Canaanites were often descri- described as sexually immoral in the Bible. And most importantly, Rebecca feared God, whereas the Canaanites worshipped other, other gods. If you are Abraham, it's a huge problem. Because, because for Abraham, it's a future daughter-in-law worshipping other gods was a serious matter because obedience was required as God made a covenant with Abraham. Especially in Genesis 22, verse 18, it says, And in your offspring shall all the nation of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. For God's promise to be fulfilled, it was necessary to preserve the line of Abraham. and He also had to obey there were some, some dangerous situations that Abraham almost lost his wife. Abraham, you might remember, almost lost his wife to Pharaoh. He said Sarah was his sister. He, and then he almost lost his wife to Abimelech. But God was very gracious. He protected Abraham's family. Otherwise, Abraham, he could fall into the sin of Genesis 6, verse 2, which is getting married with unbelievers. In Genesis 6, verse 2, the sons of men were getting married with the daughters of the earth. In verse 5 of our text, well, the servant probably well knew of those things, but he was still a little bit worried. He was a little bit worried before his departure, saying, and he asked, perhaps the woman is not willing to follow me to this land. 
Abram answers, Well, it's okay. Do not just do not take my son back there. But the point that Abraham was making was very clear. Do not take my son back there. Why? Because God said, To your offspring I will give this land. But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be from from this oath. Only you must not take my son back there. You see, Abraham gives a very specific instruction that the servant must not take Isaac back there, but woman must come to the land that Abraham was dwelling. Abraham, he had the promise of land in his mind all the time. His concern was not whether or not the girl was, girl was rich or not, whether or not the, how pretty she was. Abraham's concern was the promise of God. When God's people make big decisions, the first thing that should come to our mind is God's promise. Of course, for Abraham, it was the, it was the promise of land. Because Abraham cherished the promise of land. He wanted his son to live in the land, not somewhere else. Also, the wife had to be a godly woman. Otherwise, Isaac may go astray, misled by his wife. It was a serious matter. The promise that Abraham received, the promise of land, we read in Hebrews 11 especially, that we realize that this is, just, this is a foreshadow of something real to come in the future. And this promise of land for us is a promise of heaven. And we also received this promise of heaven. Then, dear brothers and sisters, what do you think, what do you think that we should do? What do you think that we should think about when we make big decisions or small decisions? What occupies your list of priority? Money? Beauty? Fame? PlayStation? Mustang? Or promise of God? And I, 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 I think you know the answer right away. Well, again, for Abraham... It was the promise of land. And that was what initiated the mission. That was the motivation. And this leads leads to the second point. The promise of land that fulfills the mission. So the story continues. Abraham's servant, he took ten camels and left. So it was a long way, but he went there anyway. He went to Mesopotamia to the city of Nehor. And then you, you can see that the, the prayer of servant. And when I was reading this prayer a few years ago, it was very striking to the, see the content of the prayer. The servant says, Behold, I'm standing at the spring of the water, the daughters of the men coming out to draw the water, that they let the young woman whom I say shall, shall say, Please let down your pitcher and then I may drink and then she, if she say drink I will drink I will water your camels then let her be the one whom you have prepared for my servant Isaac 
By this I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my master. Well, when I was reflecting this prayer, for me, it sounded like he was testing God. It rather sounds like, O Lord, God of my fathers, I've been waiting for all my life. I've been sick, I'm sick of being alone. Since you said man is not good to be alone, tomorrow I'm going to the church. And if there's a, a girl shaking my hand after the worship service, the first girl that shakes my hand, let her be the one whom you prepared for me. Well, I know this kind of prayer is very selfish. I know it's a bit of exaggeration. But then let me ask you this. How about Jephthah's prayer? The judge Jephthah, you know the judge Jephthah who sacrificed his daughter? Doesn't the prayer of Abraham's servant sound like the judge Jephthah who took an oath to God saying, if you give the Ammonites into my hands, Whatever comes out the door of my house to meet me when I return in triumph from the Ammonites will be the Lord's, and I will sacrifice it as a burnt offering. And you know the story very well. You also know the tragic result. He had to sacrifice his daughter. Are, these, are those two prayers like, Lord, if you do such and such to me, I will know that you are my God. And I will do something in return. We also find something very similar, not very similar, but similar in Genesis 28 when Jacob was fleeing from his brother. If you can, please turn with me to Genesis 28. Genesis 28, verse 20. Then Jacob made a vow saying, If God will be with me and keep me in this way that I'm going, and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on, so that I come back to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God, and this stone which I have set as a pillar shall be God's house. And all of that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. How do we understand this? Is this Jacob's vow a selfish vow? Well, it is helpful to remember the Jacob's situation when he prayed this or he, when he made this vow. Jacob just deceived his father and brother. He stole all the blessings and he had to flee from his father's house to somewhere else. And there was no guarantee that when he was going to come back. But what about the promise of land? What about the promise that older one will serve the younger? Well, Jacob's prayer actually is not like Jephthah, Judge Jephthah's prayer. Jacob's prayer is about actually the holding on the promise of God. Please pay attention to what Jacob said about the purpose of his request. If God will be with me and watch over me this journey I'm taking, and then give him food and clothes, so that I return safely to my father's 
house. Jacob was not praying something like, God, if you give me food, clothes, wear, and safe trip back, I will give tenth of what I earn. No, Jacob had the promise of land in his mind. He knew that he had to go back to his father's house. It was something like this. God, you gave me the promised land. You are the one who gave me the promise. I know you're faithful. And you know I need food and clothes until I return my father's land. And I'm sure you will take care of those things because you know that I long for the fulfillment of those promises. The prayer of Abraham's servant in Genesis 24 was like Jacob's vow. What the servant was asking was not about his interest, but the fulfillment of God's covenant promise. Notice the beginning of the prayer, the servant addresses God as God of Abraham, not of his. The servant was asking God to show the steadfast love to his master so the promise of land may be fulfilled. The servant was relying on the promise of God and that is why he could boldly request that kind of prayer. And so did Jacob. Even though though Jacob was a liar, he had nothing righteous to offer to God because of the promise. Because of that promise, he could boldly pray to God and make that kind of vow. What about us? Now we are living in the days after Jesus Christ. We are sinners. We deserve no grace. We lie just like Jacob did. But we know that Jesus Christ became the fulfillment of the law. He kept kept all the laws perfectly for us. And all those credits have been imputed to us. And if if those people in the Old Testament, if they could draw near closer to God on account of just mere promise, then how much more can we who are imputed with the righteousness of Christ draw near to God? Therefore, brothers, ask, ask to Jesus Christ while acknowledging his promise and the fulfillment by Jesus Christ. I'm sure God will fulfill his promise to you. And then we see that happening when the servant sees the girl. When the servant asks for the water, Rebecca not only gave the water to the servant, but also to the camels. She was running back and forth with a heavy pitcher. And it was, not, it was very interesting to notice and pay attention to what the servant did. He didn't do anything. He was just he quietly stood there and just watched. And we think that, come on, this tiny little girl, you should go help him out. But he was just, he was just quietly standing there recognizing how God had worked through all these things. Think about it. 
who would like to graciously give a jar of water to a stranger, someone out of town. Not only that, but she also actively filled up, filled up the, the, those pitchers for the camels. Did you notice that servant didn't even mention a single word about his camels? The camels, I had a little research. The camels drink 20 gallons of water at a sitting. I guess depends, depending how thirsty they are. 10 camels, that makes 200 gallons. That's 1,600 pounds. That's a lot. She carried 600 pounds of water actively. And God's people who are made of his image, of course, reflect God's grace through their good works. And our catechism talks about the good works as follows. Through our godly walk of life, we may win our neighbors. And that was what the servant saw from this little girl. Asking for water was just kind of a test. It was just a test to see if the girl is the one that God had prepared. It was just a test to see whether the girl is adequate for his master Isaac. A test to see whether or not this girl can help Isaac to be obedient to the covenant life. It was a test to see whether the girl is humble and meek enough to render everything to her husband and be willing to live in the promised land. And it was a test to see whether the girl glorified God's name through her godly walk of life. This leads to the final point, the promise of land that brings the happy ending of the mission. In verse 15, it says, Before he had finished praying, Rebekah came out with her picture on her shoulder. It was very surprising to see how God's providence works. Here in this text, the immediate response reveals that God's special hand working behind all these things. We are stuck in time and space. We can only think within the boundaries of time and space. But when we think about this chronological order, Rebecca must have left her house even before the servant began to pray. But the Lord, He is a God who tr- tr- transcends time and space. God somehow mysteriously worked out so that Rebecca can appear at the place on the exact time. When the servant figure out the girl is the daughter of the nephew of Abraham, he must have been very shocked. And some of you probably felt uh, had a similar experience by doing Dutch bingo. Perhaps servant was so overwhelmed, overwhelmed to see how God completed the Dutch bingo through his providence. Well, Abraham is not a Dutch, but you know what I mean. The servant was so amazed that he automatically fell down to worship God in verse 26 and 27. We see that God responded immediately in this case because he knew the perfect time for the servant and Rebekah. 
Our prayer, of course, is also heard by God. Sometimes the response maybe seems to be a little bit delayed in our eyes. But God knows the perfect time. And we ought to remember that Isaac was 40 years when he met Rebekah. Although we may not receive the immediate, immediate response, we must remember that God listens to our prayers. Isaiah 65 verse 24 speaks as follows. Before they call, I will answer. While they are still speaking, I will hear. We don't know the time which God arranged, but one thing is certain. That is, God already had prepared Rebecca beforehand. Just as God already prepared Rebecca to go meet the servant, and this news can be applied in every situation of our life, your birth, marriage, good news, bad news, all things happen according to God's plan. Yet among all those plans, the greatest and the most amazing plan was that Jesus Christ came to this world. Jesus came to this world just like the servant went to Nahor. Jesus had a mission just like the servant did. The servant did not know which one was the one that God had prepared, but Jesus knew and still knows that who belongs to his flock. Just like the servant went there so that he can take a bride for his master Isaac, Jesus also came down to this world so that later he can take his bride, his church, to his eternal wedding feast. The servant, as you see, he paid various precious goods. But later in New Testament, Jesus paid his blood. He paid his precious, his own life. But for the servant and Isaac, getting a wife was a big issue. And every single man and woman is very curious and excited about thinking about his or her future spouse. Yet there is something more, much more important than just marriage. That is the promise of God. Remember, in my introduction, I said something about arranged marriage. But actually, Genesis 24 is not about arranged marriage. The core issue was about the promise of God, the promise of land, especially And according to the promise of God, in the New Testament, Jesus sacrificed his life so that we may have a right to stay in the eternal promised land. While living, while we are living on this earth, we have many concerns. It could be anything. School, marriage, finance, relationship, Hebrew and Greek exam, classes exam. And those issues, of course, are very, very important. Serious, we ought to bring all those issues in our prayers. Again, however, there's a bigger thing that we ought to remember above all those issues. 
That is the heavenly inheritance that we will receive later. Before we make decisions or ask about marriage, before we ask about finance, job interviews, before we ask about schools and exams, perhaps we should ask ourselves, did I ask for the kingdom of God? During his earthly ministry, Jesus Christ, he performed many miracles for the poor, sick, and the lost. He solved many problems of many people. But all those miracles had only one purpose. That is to testify that Jesus was the Son of God so that people may believe in him and have eternal life. Jesus always taught the kingdom of God as his primary lesson. Brothers and sisters, this passage of Genesis 24 concludes with a happy ending. This reminds me of Jesus' teaching, but seek the first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough troubles of its own. Yes, do not worry about tomorrow. Do not worry that Isaac will not be happy because he didn't have a choice or he never went out for a date. Happiness is not dependent upon the arranged marriage or dating. In verse 67, it says he loved her and Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. The result, as the Bible points out, was good. Ask his kingdom, it all become a happy ending. But we also know, also know that in case of Jacob's ending, he was tremendously blessed by God in number when he, was, he returned. The issue, of course, again, of this text, is not about whether our happiness depends on arranged marriage or not. It depends on God's promise. In the end, God will bring us to true happiness through the mission of Jesus Christ. You have to hold on the promise of the promise of God and believe in Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters. And let us do that this week. Amen.